We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the That's So Mets podcast. A very happy new year to everyone. I think we're all excited for 2020 to come to a close. This is episode number 22 of our show. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And we're excited as the MLB hot stove is kind of picked it up here. You know, usually this is a weird lull between... The holidays with Christmas and New Year's, but it's starting to get going. Not really the free agent market, but we've seen a lot of trades that we're going to get into. Joe and I are going to talk about, you know, some Steve Cohen uh, interesting, funny tweets, and of course the Padres kind of taking over this week. But we have to start at the top, and that's the Mets uh, making quietly a huge hire in Zach Scott as an assistant GM of the team coming over from the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, Joe and I have been excited at the possibility of Scott, even when it was down to him and Porter for actual GM of the team, he was an intriguing name because of his long history and background in overseeing and building out an analytics department. And now the Mets make a pretty surprise hire. Jared Porter, obviously responsible for getting Scott uh, to come over, I believe after 17 years with the Red Sox. So this is a big move for him. So Joe, I know you were excited about this one. Uh, hope you had a great Christmas. How are we doing? And, and give the fans a little lowdown on, I know you were surprised when the Scott hire came through. Yeah, I was absolutely surprised when the hire came through that the Mets were able to bring Zach Scott on as assistant GM and vice president. And because he was the runner up, like you said, to Jared Porter being the GM of the Mets. So at that point, you just assume, well, all right, well, they chose Porter over Scott and then that's going to be that. I really wish I like, tried to connect dots or thought about it but Jared Porter has known Zach Scott for 15 years they actually both entered the Red Sox as interns in 2004 so they both came in at the same time with the Red Sox and he worked with them for I think he said 10 or 11 years so this is a a guy that Porter has been very familiar with and he was able to bring him on to really be his first lieutenant like this isn't a Sandy Alderson hire this is a Jared Porter hire and I think like you said analytics is going to be a big thing for the Mets going forward and Zach Scott is the guy that led the analytics department for the Red Sox so now he's going to be able to come over to the Mets with Steve Cohen's money and certainly experience running an analytics department and hopefully that is a sign of the Mets being able to have a very robust analytics department and certainly you, you want to look ahead too where Sandy Alderson is not going to be here forever um, he's maybe a couple of years he, he certainly doesn't want to like he said uh, die in his boots so he doesn't want to you know have that happen so I think the vision for the Mets is that in the long term 
Jared Porter as president of baseball operations and Zach Scott as general manager. Kind of the the format that the Indians have and a few other teams and kind of what the Mets envisioned initially. It's just going to be kind of a different route. It was, it was a great pivot by them and a, a great job being able to lure him from Boston. I agree. And you know it's a pretty big get when it came with the caveat that Apparently, I think the Mets can't hire now from Boston for two years, I believe, with Scott. So this was, you know, the agreement was, hey, we're letting this guy go, uh, but you have to stay away from us for a little while here. So it clearly was someone that was very valuable, um, someone that, you know, like we've gone over before, he had been there a really long time. So this is him, you know, probably taking this leap for one, his relationship with Porter uh, two, and this might be more important, it's a, an opportunity where the ladder or the ability to climb seems a little bit more clear. It's As Joe has mentioned over and over again, the runway is kind of obvious now where Porter will be elevated, you know, probably post-Sandy, and that means Scott would be elevated with him to actual GM of the team. So that's why they were able to get such a marquee name, and I think what you have to love here is the difference in the kind of guys they're getting. I mean, quite frankly, the Mets have just never had uh, a a person with experience, successful resume in analytics like Scott before. So I think that's something that is really excited. It's not gone under the radar. A lot of people have been all over that, but it is definitely something new for the Mets as a franchise. And, you know, if you want to, you know, people are on Cohen ridiculously for them not making enough big moves yet. But he has absolutely lived up to the billing that they are going to get people in there to improve pretty much every aspect of this team. Yeah, and Ben Sherrington even said it best, too, talking about Zach Scott and Jared Porter, how they're kind of like yin and yang. So, like, you're going to, they're able to work together despite coming from kind of different backgrounds. So, you're going to have two guys that can work together, have worked together, and are willing to work together and hear each other's differing point of views. Because, I mean, the last thing you really want is Jared Porter to just have his top lieutenant be like a Jared Porter Jr. in a sense that thinks exactly the same, has the same things. The way you're going to be successful is if Porter thinks something, he has Zach Scott that maybe has a different perspective. And, you know, sometimes he'll go with what Porter thinks and sometimes he'll go with what Zach Scott thinks. But I think that that makes for a good organization. And, and like you said, the Mets... You know, they're on their way to building up the infrastructure that I think everyone can be excited about. It's got a long way to go. I mean, they they still have to put together this analytics department for Zach Scott. Uh, they still have to do what they want to do to player development. There's not even a head of player development right now. So there's still more work to do, but you got to start at the top. And at the top, with short of landing uh, Antonetti or a Stearns or a Chernoff, like outside of hiring one of those guys, the Mets might've done pretty much as good as they could do with, with a pivot. So you have to give them credit for pulling it off. Absolutely. And you know, obviously this came as a surprise. We didn't know if they'd be able to fill the seat under Porter this early or in such a bizarre late time of the off season where you typically don't always see these kind of front office moves, especially one that's kind of viewed as a lateral one. So Big news for the Mets. It wasn't treated as big news, but I know in your eyes and my eyes it was, and we were going to kick off the show with that. And now we're going to do something that we typically don't do on this show, and that's discuss something that 
happens outside of the Mets organization, but within baseball. And that's the Padres really just having a monster day after the holiday weekend. They come out Monday and they make a trade for, you know, a Cy Young caliber pitcher in Blake Snell, a Cy Young caliber pitcher in you Darvish, separate trades. And, and when you look at this, uh, you know, obviously for this team, they're all in, right? And it's not that they're all in, you know, just on a one-year kind of window. Darvish is – they're taking on some big money with Darvish. I believe he's due $60 million uh, in the next three years. So that – it was clearly a, a big salary dump with the Darvish move and the Cubs uh, not really getting a huge return for that. So you look at the Padres here, and they not only make a big – couple of moves here but the Snell trade they did unload some big time players so that one was much different not a salary dump and the reason we bring it up with the Mets is because I think this is a different strategy than the Mets are taking in the offseason and it's not time to hit the panic button the Padres are obviously a team that if you followed them at the trade deadline last year they believe they have the core in place uh, to really start making moves to, to push and challenge teams like the Dodgers. While the Mets are, are not exactly in that spot yet. And as Steve Cohen tweeted, the Mets don't have the farm system to go after somebody like a Blake Snell that costs a top prospect. The Mets are going to start out this offseason playing the top tier of the free agent market. And those guys haven't signed yet. You know, people could say whatever they want. Those guys haven't signed yet. It's clear that none of them want to sign yet, and it's pretty obvious that the Mets' top target has been George Springer, and it's pretty clear he doesn't want to sign yet, and we'll get into all of those reasons later on. But I thought it was interesting. It was one of those things where, wow, good for the Padres, good for their fans, especially those San Diego fans that have you know, not had it easy with sports in, in this decade. But I also think it's a different timeline here, Joe, and I just kind of wanted your thoughts as all of this was going down what was your thoughts on it? Because I, I felt no panic on this at all. For me, it was like, good for the Padres. It makes the National League much tougher, of course. Although the Cubs are just getting weaker and weaker. And you have to they have to be very frustrated uh, as a fan base over there. But I just thought this was one team that was like, okay, we're going to use a lot of the trade market to build up our team. We're not going to go out and give a $150 million contract out. While the Mets are, are just at the moment... Uh, in a different kind of strategic way of this offseason. Yeah, I felt the same way. I, I have zero panic, and I don't think Mets fans should either. I, I understand the frustration. I get it. You know, they need a center fielder. They need starting pitching help. They may need a third baseman. They could maybe use more bullpen help, depending on what you think there. But the reality is the guys that the Mets have their eye on, are everyone's still available. Like, you can make an argument that they may have pursued Ha-Sung Kim, uh, who also signed with the Padres, too. So they made the trades and, yeah, and signed him. him. <laughs> uh, but they were kind of on the periphery of that, from what I understand. They were just, they were checking in. They're just trying to, they were trying to get their feet wet a little bit, but they, they weren't actually going to dive in on him. But no, it, it's great for the Padres. I mean, they, they went through a rebuild where they traded away a bunch of veteran pieces they didn't play, you know, good baseball for a while, and they built up a mega farm system. There's no way around it. Their farm system is excellent, and it is still excellent because A.J. Preller is an excellent general manager who managed to pull off these deals. I mean, the Blake Snell Hall is a very big haul. The Mets could not have matched a Blake Snell deal 
put any combination of prospects you want together. It doesn't touch it. The Mets don't have a Luis Patino, who is one of the better pitching prospects in baseball and major league ready. That's a, that's a factor here. Like you and I love Matt Allen. Matt Allen at, at this point in time, if you're being optimistic, is a back end of the top 100 guy. But I was going to say the same. Yeah, thing. he's like yep. he's like a back end of the top 100. Luis Patino's the top 20 prospect in the game who's ready to pitch in the major leagues right now. They got Francisco Mejia, who I'd probably tell him to forget about catching at this point and just focus on the outfield and hitting because he still has a good bat. But it, in 2019, he had an awesome second half in the major leagues. So he's major league ready. And then Cole Wilcox was a top 15 to 20 prospect in this past year's draft who fell due to signability. And the Padres signed him in the third round for big money. So that's, a, that's another really great get. So they got a huge deal for Blake Snell. Uh, on the Darvish side, the Mets probably could have matched that deal if, if they wanted to, um, short of short of Zach Davies. They, they couldn't, they don't have a Zach Davies to, to give back. But outside of that, the prospects, I mean, they're interesting. And, you know, they were big time international free agents, especially uh, two of them, uh, Mania, uh, was Ismet Ishmael Mania and Reginald Preciado were both over a million dollar signing bonuses last year for international signings, uh, even Mania being 2.2 million. So that would be like trading of Francisco Alvarez. Uh, you know, I'm not comparing the talents per se, but just talking signing bonus and being very fresh. But these guys really haven't played pro ball. So while the ceiling is there, you're thinking five years at least down the road to see if these guys are even big leaguers. The The Cubs can end up with getting literally nothing out of this deal. Just think possibility. Or they could get something really great, which makes it a salary dump. And this is the kind of deal that Mets could have been involved. I just don't think they want to go to a $20 million a year deal for a pitcher at this time. Um, so... But who's 34? Who's 34? And has been injured. And has been injured. Yeah, there's there's some flaws to Darvish. He was awesome. He would make a huge difference in the Mets rotation. But I don't think they want to go to that level, at least with starting pitching right now. But salary dumps is going to be something to keep your eye on for the next month. Like, are the Cubs going to be giving away Chris Bryant? Like, if the Mets can move Familia's money somewhere, let's just use for an example, and then just take Chris Bryant's estimated 19 million on one year like that's a possibility but that's something i want to see the mets investigate but you can't be mad at them in my opinion for not doing either of these deals it's credit to san diego and the mets are going to do things they're good you just got to relax you got to have some patience and the reality is i was talking to someone yesterday and who was very impatient and i said like what's your reasoning like i just want understanding and he goes, well, S Steve Cohen has all this money, and we were told they were going to be aggressive and bold and, and all that. And I go, well, who have they missed on that you want? And they're like, well, um, well uh, I don't know. And I go, so what it comes down to is you're just bored, right? And he's like, yeah, I guess. I guess I'm just kind of bored. And I want – so to cure your boredom, you want the Mets to go and spend $100 million on somebody. So it's just have some patience. Almost all of this will be wrapped up in, let's call it the next four to five weeks, and then hot stove's over. So um, 
have some patience. It's it's going to be okay. That's how I felt as well. It's not like Joe and I talk about this all the time. There's not we're not really going to be upset until like if spring if it's announced Springer signs with Toronto, then you sit there and go, well, what happened? Right? It's what went wrong because that's one that the Mets clearly want, and the Mets are clearly willing to pay. So if that does happen, you would assume, hey, he probably just wanted to go to Toronto. So the, there's really nothing here where you're going, oh, they missed out. Francisco Lindor hasn't been traded. Nolan Arenado hasn't been traded. Sonny Gray hasn't been traded. Springer hasn't signed. Bauer hasn't signed. Tanaka hasn't signed. Odorizzi hasn't. Like, I could do this all day. That And, you know, for the Padres, you know, adding Kim, because he was the only signing. He was the guy on their monster day that, they, you know, they went out and signed. Sure, some monster numbers in the KBO. Uh, apparently a very good glove at, at short and third. Definitely a very undersized player, and you do wonder how that transitions to the major leagues in the United States. I'm not saying one way or the other, but it's a concern that, of course, people will raise. It, it just was one of those things where he's a bit of a dart throw, and the Padres have enough infield talent where they can make that dart throw. I think you're going to see the Mets go for a lot of sure things. I, I really do. I think... You know, and some people will sit there, well, McCann's not a sure thing. I, I don't know. McCann's an upgrade at, from what they've had at catcher, and I think the recent number, something has clicked, where I'm just not really concerned about that signing. But I think they're looking for more, uh, you know, there's a reason why you hear they're in on LeMayhew. There's a reason why you hear they're in on Springer. Those guys have played at a top level at their positions for quite a while now. So no panic here at all. Uh, good for the Padres. You know, that's a brutal division. The Mets play in a brutal division as well, but wow, that is a brutal division over there. And it's good to see somebody, you know, maybe give the Dodgers a hard time. And the last thing we have at our news and notes before we get to your questions was, you know, a lot of people felt, you know, a couple ways about this. Steve Cohen tweets out, he essentially blamed, you know, he said, good for the Padres. We don't have the farm system to make that kind of trade, which is completely a, a shot at Brody Van Wagenen and maybe even the Wilpons because, there was a lot of thoughts that Jeff Wilpon was the guy behind a lot of the Brody go for it moves, trade young players for win now kind of pieces. And I don't have a problem with this, quite frankly. I saw people say, is it an, ex-? you know, I think Moose and Maggie tweeted as an excuse. Some people were like, well, you haven't done uh, all kinds of nonsense. It's the truth. What do you want? Like, Brody traded Jared Kellenick. For a Robinson Cano's contract and a closer, okay? Like, and there's million, we could do this all day. There's millions of trades where he dumped out the farm system for a million fourth outfielders, or on and on it goes, or, or paid the wrong people with the little money they had. So when you look at it, and I count Cano being part of those paying the wrong people because that was a monster contract that unfortunately is going to be a problem when we're doing this show a year from now when we have to discuss it again but we'll put that one behind us for now and enjoy the next year so when you look at I don't care that Cohen's telling the truth and I think he's a guy that Mets fans aren't used to this is going to be very transparent with the fan base I think when things are called out whether it's in the media whether it's panicked amongst fans I think he's going to tell you how it is and quite frankly Joe I would rather have that than somebody that hides, that doesn't do press conferences, that ignores the fans. He cares about the fans being happy, being content, 
and quite frankly, being honest with them. And somebody that sits and does this show once a week and talks to you almost every day, you know more about the Mets farm system than anybody in the media. He's right. I've learned enough from you where, yes, we like Matt Allen. We like Alvarez. You know, we'll see about JT Ginn. There's players in there, but it's not even on the same planet as the Padres where they can dump a top guy like Patino and still have more pieces coming up. So I have no problem with this, and I think the last thing I'll say about it is it just shows you that they are they are all in on the free agent market right now. If a couple things go wrong, maybe they make a call about Nolan Arenado. Maybe they make a call about a Francisco Lindor. Maybe you saw the Cubs dump some money. Maybe the Reds do the same with Sonny Gray. It, then maybe they make those kind of calls. But I think this was not only transparency, but quite frankly, a big hint at where the Mets offseason strategy currently stands. I just don't know what what do what do people want? Like, do you want do you want I know people complain that like Cohen's making jokes on Twitter. Do you want him to hide like the Wilpons did? Uh, and then when he does tweet, you're going to complain that he's making excuses when he's just straight up telling you how it is. Do you want him to lie and tell you everything's rosy? Like, I want a owner and I want our general manager and our front office to be cognizant of what the issues are within the organization. And I have no issue with them being honest with us about it. It doesn't mean they tell us every little detail of everything. But yeah, he's right. The farm needs to be replenished. There's no question about it. Brody traded away, like you said, a ton of guys. Kelnick, Dunn, Simeon Woods-Richardson, Anthony Kay. I mean, the list goes on. He traded a ton of uh, prospects. But, and, and when you do that, it does need to be replenished. Like, the Padres still have top guys left, but they're going to have to replenish the depth of their system because now they've traded a bunch of bodies. They're going to have to replenish, but they still have top guys. So, like, they're, they're still fine. But this farm needs improvement. There's no question about it. And the Mets have the scouting department in place to do so. And they've done a great job over the last, you know, decade. So you, you can't really have an issue with the scouting department. It's just having people in place that keep the right prospects and then trade the right prospects. Because at the end of the day, that's what prospect inventory is all about. You build up an inventory so you have the ability to produce your own stars, your Pete Alonzos, your Jeff McNeils, your Jacob DeGroms, etc. Like that's a, that's a great thing. And that's those are guys that fans want to root for. But you also build up a prospect base where – a Mike Clevenger becomes available. A Hugh Darvish becomes available. When these guys come available, then you could say, oh, well, now we have all these pieces to go after those guys. So you have to be – it is tough. It's, I will say what is tough is the Mets are going to be trying to win right now. And it can be a little difficult to win and also spruce up your farm system. Just because you're picking later, it makes it a little more difficult. But – if you have the right personnel in place making decisions, you should be able to continue to grow the system. And I think, like you said, they will be mainly focused in free agency. But I really hope they are keeping their eye on the trade market for guys that are making 10 plus million dollars a year that teams might just want out of. And, you know, maybe it costs you like the I look at the Darvish trade where they traded a guy that got $2.2 million on international free agency last year. The Mets paid a, a good penny to Alexander Ramirez, who I have ranked inside my top 20 prospects in the Mets system. But if you could use someone like him to go get a legitimate big league comp uh, 
competitor like a Sonny Gray, like you said, just using him as an example, like, that's fine. You deal those guys. Those are the guys you could deal with. But ultimately, you, you have to keep the top guys that you have, build up a farm system just so you could have, you know, a real nucleus going forward and then set yourself up to make these trades when the situations arise. Yeah, well said. I mean, that's that is how the baseball offseason goes. That is how the trade deadline often goes. And, you know, it's going to take a little while. And at the same time, they do have some arms and players in the system that with maybe a good year or two of development, this farm system will look a lot different, right? Work. We've been excited for the most part. I mean, Joe, you you tell it how it is when they this team drafts. And for the most part from following you, you seem to like what they've done the last two years. Even with limited selections, obviously, it was a little bit different of a draft. But you seem to have liked the strategy they have taken to get some more premium talent in the farm. So it's just that, quite frankly... Those guys are like most prospects, but especially since they're all going to be, what, A-ball players? I mean, they don't have a resume that you can move them for anything right now, and you most definitely couldn't move them for somebody like a Blake Snell when you look at the return uh, that he brought back. And when you, you you know read into how there really wasn't a market for Darvish, quite clearly with how pathetic that return was, my gut feeling is the Mets are just looking in a different direction. They probably have their finger on the pulse of Odorizzi's market. Same with Tanaka's. You know, maybe they like somebody different. And quite frankly, I like Darvish. There's no question he had a Cy Young caliber season. I don't know how many guys you want at 35 or 36 on this team in 2022 that are making $20 million a year. I think that was... Darvish to me is the classic. There's a lot of risk here. The reward can be really big, but we think we're going to be in a World Series this year or the following year. And as much as we're excited about the Mets, and Steve Cohen said three to five years, I don't think the Mets are, and they're clearly not, operating where they think they're going to the World Series this year or even the following year, to be quite just truthful here. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just not going all in, right? Like they have a exactly they, they have a super talented team. So the Mets can make the World Series this year if they make a couple, you know, right moves the rest of this offseason. They're talented. Look at 2015. Yeah. They're talented enough to do it, but they're not doing what the Padres are doing in a sense where it's just like we're going all in. We're pushing everything into the middle. Like they traded a bunch of prospects, they took on money. You know, they're they're going all the way for it. And the Mets are are may not be at that point, but that's okay, because I think they're going to get there soon, and they're making, in my opinion, smart investments, and that's that's really what it comes down to. It's exciting to sign the big guy, and I think they're going to sign a big free agent, a Springer, a Bauer, a LeMahieu, someone like that. I think it will happen, and Mets fans could be excited when, when that drops, but the flashy offseason signings don't always pay off the way you want them to, so if you want multiple of those guys... One, that's not going to happen. But two, like, calm down. You know, I understand wanting star players, but that, that's when these guys hit free agency, their their ages start with three more often than not. And when that's the case, you're giving a long-term deal. You're going to be unhappy probably by the time the end of the contract. But you have to, you know, you have to be just calculated. Because like you said, 2022 money Robinson Cano hops back on the luxury tax next year. Gross. Like, 
and then the year after, unless unless they somehow find a way to move him or legally get out of it, which I don't think they can, but I assume they'll try. And yeah, they're they're stuck with that. So you have you you don't want dead money on your contracts uh, on your payroll. Like you can afford one, maybe two, but ultimately you don't you don't want to look at the payroll and go, oh, how can you get how can they get out of this money, like. No offense to Jairus Familia, I was looking at the luxury tax payroll today, and I was like, oh, Familia's on here for $10 million. Like, how can we get rid of that? Like, fortunately, he's only one more year, and, and then that'll be done. But you want to be able to have a really good team, but also be set up smart financially, because this is this is a big picture. It's a long-term vision. I know everyone's excited in 2021, but it's not all about 2021. It's about 2022, 23, 24, 25, and onward. That's that's where the Mets need to be. And the best part about the Familia deal is they deferred $2 million of it to 2022. So just when you think it's really, really gone, there's always that little thing pinching you that is not fully unbelievable. But now that we're done with our don't panic speech, and I have a feeling – Maybe next show we'll be we'll be uh, celebrating some kind of move. We're going to take some questions here. And the first one's from Corey, who sent us a really nice email. He says, I was wondering if you think the Mets might actually be serious players for Sagano. I think he'd be an excellent fit. Also, I was curious about how the posting fees work. Does that work towards the Mets' overall payroll slash luxury tax worries? All right, I'll, t- I'll take the second part first. Because I mentioned last week, I believe, or maybe it was two weeks ago, I don't know. But whenever it was uh, about the posting and how it was a percentage would go to the team. Well, I got some real numbers for you. So Sugata will likely not be in this category. But it, when it comes to posting now, if the contract for the player is $25 million or less, 20% of that goes as a separate fund to the to the posting team. If the contract's larger than $25 million, this is where Sugano will very likely be. It's a five million fee plus seventeen point five percent of the amount over twenty five million. So, uh, whenever he has a contract, I'll let you know what that means. And if it's with the Mets, I'll really let you know what it means. But ultimately, no, it will not impact your payroll or luxury tax. Anything regarding the posting is a separate transaction and is just cash that goes to. In the case of Sugano. Yomiri Giants. So you don't have to worry about that. Sugano, if the Mets were to land him, uh, would just hit your luxury tax like any other player. Nothing different. As far as the Mets actually being serious players, the more I'm hearing, yes, I think they are serious players. Uh, Sugano, a lot of people believe he wants to be in a big market. He's used to a big market. He plays for the Yankees of uh, NPB. And I, I think he may want to remain in the big market. So I think the Mets are very serious players for him. And frankly, I think it's a pretty decent idea to give him a shot. I think that that will attract some of the Japanese fan base. So that kind of helps off the field as well. And Tanaka could too, in a way. But, you know, I don't think people are excited about Tanaka anymore. He's kind of been here and done that. Like, this is a new guy very successful in Japan. So I think it would make an impact off the field in that sense. But simply on the field, he fits that mold of the 3-4 starter that the Mets are looking for. And will his contract make more sense than a Tanaka contract? 
or a Jake Odorizzi contract. It might. It's certainly something that I think they're investigating. And, you know, we'll know in the next week or so because his he has to have his contract finalized by January 7th. Thus, he has to fly to wherever, get a physical, all that stuff. Kind of like Hassan Kim's deal leaked yesterday on what, I don't even know what today is, 28th, 29th. So it leaked a few days early. His deadline was January 1st. So I envision a few days early of January 7th, you know, we'll find out where Sugano goes. And I think the Mets are squarely in play. And I think it makes a lot of sense for them because he's someone that would you would you go all out for and expect him to be your number two? No, he's not that kind of guy. There's a lot of unknown, right? You know, and we've highlighted him. If you if you want an in depth breakdown of Sugano, go back, you know, a show or two, and and we really explained the positives, uh, some of the negatives, like strikeout rate and things like that, but. I think he's someone that obviously there's some mystery there of how he would transition. But I think if you signed him and said, Hey, he'll probably be our number three or number four, then you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, okay, we could ride with that. We have Jacob DeGrom. We have Marcus Stroman. We have Noah Syndergaard coming back. I still think even if they signed him and Joe, I'm curious your thoughts on this, they would still be in the Odorizzi or Tanaka market or even somebody like big maple. I think they would still fill out another spot in this rotation and then, of course, you have Peterson as well. So, to me, this would be a good move because, like I said, I don't think the Mets are going to be in the business of a lot of dart throws this offseason. I think they're going to be looking to get a lot of sure things, players they feel like they can pencil in, and they have a general idea what they're going to get from that player as a starter. You know, obviously, mechanic catcher, maybe Springer at center field, things along the lines of that. But this is one of the dart throws that I think makes sense because you're trying to overstock the pitching staff. Actually, I don't think they would be in on Odorizzi or Tanaka or Paxton if they signed Sugano because I think Sugano's going to get enough money. He's, I'm guessing he's going to be in the 12 to $14 million a year range, and Tanaka and Odorizzi will be at least that, I imagine. And I don't think they'll do two of those, to be honest. Uh, what I do think you could see, though, is... Let's just say they do land Sugano. I could see them waiting three, four weeks and seeing what back-end starters fall through the cracks. Because that, that's another thing that you want to keep some flexibility for the end of this offseason. Because there's going to be some guys available that you'll be surprised at how little money they get just because they got squeezed out in this financial climate. And you want the Mets to be able to take advantage of that. So, yeah, it's going to be awesome when and if they sign George Springer, and if they land a Sugano, that's awesome too. But you, you certainly want to have some competition at minimum for Steven Matz in the fifth spot. But like, who's to say in a few weeks a Jose Quintana doesn't become available for three or four million dollars? Surprisingly, it could happen. Someone's going to fall through the cracks. So you you want the Mets to be in on that because I I think what's more important than necessarily going just say Sugano and Paxton for example like that would be sweet but I think it's more important that they have numbers at starting pitching at this time like you said they have Jacob deGrom they have Marcus Stroman Noah Syndergaard is coming back I think it'll be by early June you know we'll, we'll see kind of what where that goes and then 
a Sugano or Tanaka or Odorizzi type. And then the fifth starter could be Matt slash competition. And well, Peterson. Or, oh, yeah, Peterson. I forgot about him. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Peterson. I'm excited yeah. about Peterson. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know how I, that slipped my mind. But, yeah, Peterson, like, even better. He's the forgotten yeah. man. Yeah. It happens a lot. Nobody, he had a really yeah. good year last year in the shortened season and put into a tough spot where, quite frankly, we didn't think he was debuting last year. And I found him to be very impressive, where I, I feel much better about him in the rotation than anyone's talking about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So Peterson, so all right, if you do go ahead and sign a Paxton, then what are you doing if everyone's healthy when Syndergaard comes back? You're sending Peterson to AAA or putting him in the bullpen? Joe, you always say it. These things figure themselves yeah, out exactly. every single time. Yeah. So I think what they, but what I think ultimately what they will do is just get a bunch of bodies. Like I think they will consider another major league deal for a starting pitcher because Matt's in theory has the flexibility to be a swing man out of the pen and. Frankly, if he comes to spring training and is an absolute disaster, the Mets can cut him and only owe him, I think, $800,000 of the $5 million that he signed for. So he's not guaranteed anything. Uh, I think they'll bring in some real competition for him. I just don't know if they'll do two of that $10 million a year, guys. All right, next question. That was a good one, too. Thank you, Corey. From Kevin uh, Basta Jr., with the Mets freed up of Cano's salary for this season, is there another contract we could take on that someone is trying to get rid of? If so, which position would make the most sense? Uh, to me, it's it's absolutely a pitcher. You know, of course, it depends what you think of getting rid of means for Nolan Arenado's contract at third base. But, you know, Joe, you, you've really hammered at home that, uh, you know, Sonny Gray could be one of those guys. But to me, it would absolutely be landing a pitcher, starting pitcher. Yeah, I think it's either pitcher or third base, like you said. Like, how much does Cincinnati want to move Sonny Gray's money? We don't. We don't exactly know. It might, can you sneak Suarez into the? Can deal? you sneak Suarez into the deal? Or I mentioned it a little bef- earlier. Are the Cubs that desperate to move Chris Bryant's money? Which mm, there, there, yep. there's some trends that are not looking good for him. But he's a one-year deal, and let's remember Sandy Alderson did say when he was talking about trades just, you know, a week or two ago, I think it was in the Porter press conference maybe, and he said that, you know, he backtracked on only free agency and no trades. He's like, well, you know, if there's some trade out there that's a one-year deal for some maybe bigger money that we don't really have to deal the prospect capital, you know, that's something that we might look into. And Chris Bryant, you know, some of the trends look not good. Like if you look at his stat cast things, it's a little alarming. Like even his 2019, which was really good, his stat cast numbers were not very good. So there's some reason to be concerned. But a one-year deal, even if it's at a $19 million, you 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 probably have to move a familia or move some money somewhere. Because I do believe the Mets will stay under the luxury tax, at least to go into the year. They want to leave some flexibility uh, for the deadline if someone becomes available that they need. But... If you move some money, like a Familia somewhere, like the Cubs probably won't take Familia back, I don't think. I mean, I'd ask. But if I could dump Familia or at least a percentage of Familia's money off on somebody, then you could fit George Springer, Chris Bryant, and Sugano or Tanaka or Odorizzi in under the luxury tax. So you could be creative. And like Kevin said, like that's something that that the Mets should be looking into. Finding that guy that a team just doesn't want his money and is willing to take lesser in prospect capital to get it done. 
you know, they, they just have to be particular about what prospects are traded. You, you know, you can rebuild the farm system while trading certain prospects, but you have to keep your core and, you know, certainly have real firm limits on who is available. But I think Sonny Gray and Chris Bryant are two names that kind of really jump out to me. Um, I, I'd really have to dive into kind of next year's free agency class, which is kind of crazy to do with like 200 free agents left in this free agency class. <laughs> but I'd have to kind of look into who's next year that makes a lot of money that a team may really just want to dump the money. So um, I, it's a good question. And I really think the Mets could get some value by taking advantage of this market just like the Padres did. Next one is from Mets fan 0431. Do the Mets and Blue Jays get into a bidding war for George Springer? If so, what do you think the final numbers will look like in a contract? I think it's possible. Uh, with, with Kim going to San Diego, I think that helps the Mets a little bit in the Springer chase because I put up a thought and people weren't very happy with me on Sunday night, but on, uh, I put up a thought that if Hassan Kim goes to the Blue Jays, which at the time it was rumored that the Blue Jays might be the favorite even to get him, uh, that that might take them out of the LeMayhew and Lindor markets and put them squarely in the Springer market with a lot of money to play. That was a scary thought. They lost out on Kim, so I have some hopes that you know they might be all in on LeMayhew or Lindor, like a Lindor and Carlos Carrasco trade that Toronto makes a ton of sense. And Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins up in Toronto are from Cleveland. Uh, they were responsible for bringing Lindor in. So, like, there's a connection there. So, to me, Lindor to Toronto feels kind of inevitable. And if that is the move that happens, then I don't think they'll be all in on Springer. Uh, and I think that would kind of push Springer to Queens. But it's certainly a distinct possibility that there is a bidding war. And if there is, and the Blue Jays and Mets are really going back and forth, it's not impossible that this deal pushes to six years and maybe upwards of $26, 27000000 million a year. I don't think that's impossible. So it, it, signing Springer, I think, is and should be the Mets' top priority, but it might cost you a little more than you think. I think a lot of people saw five years, 115 something like that. You know, it might be, if, if they keep it to five years, it might be 125 to 130 instead. Uh, but it's, maybe it goes six. So it, it's going to be an interesting market that I think still has some time to develop. I think anything could happen at any time, obviously. But I think the Springer market might take, you know, another two, three weeks to really start to develop. It feels that way. It really does. And I think when you look at it, there's good and bad things here, right? One, if they do get into a bidding war, which I think is possible, you kind of nailed it, Joe. It, it probably turns into that six-year, $150 million range where, quite frankly, without the bidding war, I don't see him getting more than 5-130. I think it would be 5-125, which is great money in, in this market. And, you know, I would have no problem with the Mets doing that. I think you really want to avoid the six years in this deal, but, and I think it only gets there. It, I think there's a reason why they're being so patient and they're being so quiet, right? It feels like, and I think Cohen even had a tweet about this, that there are agents out there that don't want to do anything right now because they're looking for more bidders to come in to get the leverage up. When a guy is not signing like this, it often tells you 
that his market actually might be bad is what it is, right? That's usually the hint. It's not that there's so many people involved that they're not signing yet because it just keeps going back and forth. It often tells you that the market just doesn't really exist right now. So I'm not saying Springer doesn't have a market because I believe he does. There, you know, there's been people out there that think that maybe even the Red Sox get involved in this one. Uh, I, I really do think it'll be down to the Mets and Blue Jays. Now, the Blue Jays are a powerhouse this year in the offseason. They have mega money. We've talked about it many times. They are absolutely rumored and centered around DJ LeMahieu as well. So, and like Joe said, they might be the favorite for Francisco Lindor. The bottom line is, while they have all of the, and they definitely need a starting pitcher. So while they have all this money, there are big moves out there for them to make where, you know, will they go pretty hard for Springer? It wouldn't surprise me. Is there other moves for them that can derail that? Absolutely. Where it seems like with the Mets, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like the Mets are are zeroed in on Springer. I think that the Bauer stuff has been a little overblown. I think the LeMayhew stuff, it would really surprise me if they sign him. I do believe that the Yankees and him are very far apart, but I also believe that he really wants to go back there. So that market's very interesting. They're obviously out on Real Muto, which his market took a colossal hit, which might end up playing into the Phillies' favor. We'll see how that goes. But with McCann signing with the Mets, that really hurt him. So the reason the market is so dead right now is because, quite frankly, these agents don't have as many teams involved that they want around these powerhouse names. And I think the reason specifically the LeMahieu market has been a little quiet is because it's been pretty clear from the beginning he wants to go back to the Yankees, and they probably don't have the funds that the Blue Jays or the Mets or maybe even a mystery team uh, quite clearly have where they got to even that gap a little bit. So once again, I'm not really worried about this one. My gut feeling is that the Mets, if he wants to come to New York, the Mets will be able to get Springer done. Now, it would surprise me if he you know, valued Toronto more than the Mets. I could see him valuing the Red Sox for obvious reasons over the Mets, considering where he's from. But when it comes down to it, it's just not really uh, in a panic because there's so many other names they could still go out and get. But I, I think the Blue Jays are the wild card in this entire offseason. I mean, we've kind of seen what the Padres are going to do now. They've put it all out on the table. I don't think they're going to really get in the Mets' way of any of the moves the Mets want to make. I think when you look at the Yankees, while they're usually a problem, it doesn't seem like that's the case this year. The Yankees are kind of sitting it out. They want DJ LeMahieu back, and then, you know, that's probably it, unless that fails. So when you look at the rest of the market, I just there's really no sense to panic because it's it seems like it's really two teams. And, you know, the Blue Jays have a lot of money, but you also have to wonder how many guys that are, you know, maybe from this area want to go up to Canada. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, we, we don't know. I, th- I think people like to just assume because Springer's from Connecticut, he, of course, would love to come to New York because it's close to Connecticut. You know, most let's be honest, too. Most of these guys just want the biggest contract. I mean, this is and he's one of those guys. Yeah, he's right. Yeah, I mean, he, he's 31. So he's a guy that this is his only contract he's going to get his only long term deal he's going to get of his career. So he has to make sure he does it right. And, you know, I give him credit if he took less money to go anywhere. But more often than not, these guys just go where the most money is. And we talk about the location thing and. You know, maybe it's a little factor, but I think it's I think it's a minor one. 
But like you said about the markets, yeah, they're just not developed at this time. Steve Cohen even tweeted it. He said after he tweeted, I'm going to go call Jared Porter. Uh, he tweeted, you know, these agents are just waiting for other bidders because at this point, the markets are small. And that's not indicative of the players, I don't think. I think it's just indicative of the market and the financial landscape that's in baseball right now. These, Like you said, the Yankees are usually big players. They're basically only really in on LeMahieu and just kind of waiting that out. And LeMahieu's market might be impacted because teams don't want to waste their time because they know that LeMahieu wants to go back there. So, like, oh, am I just going to burn three weeks of time with your agent just to help the Yankee help him get a better deal from the Yankees? You know, some teams probably are not up for that. But it's a limited market at this time. Uh, I, I think you'll see maybe a couple of teams come out of the woodwork as we get into maybe the middle of January. But ultimately, when it comes to Springer, I think he ends up with the Mets. I, like you said, I think they're squarely focused on him. Um, I've been surprised before. Uh, I, I didn't see Trevor May coming. Great, that's at a smaller level, but that just drop, dropped out of nowhere. So we don't really know what they're thinking. And that's fun and scary, but... Uh, I, I I do think there's a good chance to end up with George Springer, for sure. And we love to hear that. So hopefully that is what happens. The last question of the show, this is from at underscore Heedle. What are each of your favorite Mets moments you've seen live? Now this is it's a great question, number one. I, I would say my favorite Mets moment I've been at was after uh, Chase Utley broke Ruben Tejada's leg. When they came back, for that series, I was at the game, and number one, the stadium was insane. Number two, when they introduced the players, they just held the camera on Utley for so long, and the crowd just, I mean, destroyed him. And that was the game also where the Mets just throttled, absolutely throttled the Dodgers, where I'm pretty sure that was the Cespedes bat flip game, I want to say, and I know Travis Darno hit a home run. I mean, it was... It was absolutely ridiculous. And in the same year, while the end results weren't fun, uh, I was at the game when Conforto hit two home runs in the World Series. And, I mean, that it's just crazy how electric that was. It's the best atmosphere uh, I've been around for Mets games that I can remember. I'm trying to think if I've been at any other cri- – I mean, that was, you know, in my lifetime when the Mets were at their best. Obviously, 06 was fun, but I, I didn't live near um, – Queens then where I could go to a lot of games so for me 2015 was where my best in-person moments and memories are from so for me I have a regretful memory uh we we could date back to June 30th 2000 and I had to google this to be clear I am not a historian I don't remember dates of basically anything uh so if I say June 30th 2000 I guarantee there's plenty of people listening to this that are like oh my god that game they know exactly what I'm talking about it was the game against the Braves where the Mets staged you know the big comeback down 8-1 and Piazza hit the home run down the left field line great memory if my mom didn't make me leave the freaking game early. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the game, but I didn't get to see the actual moment of the game that mattered. Uh, thanks, mom. But uh, yeah, that that's one, I guess. But to get really recent, I was at the Todd Frazier wa- uh, home run off of Doolittle. City Field was... Oh, that was incredible. City Field was jamming. And I was there for the Conforto rip his shirt off game. Uh 
Oh, so you, that walk off. You... So I've I've I went to a couple walk offs in recent and City Field jams, man. I, I went to the NLCS. I don't even remember which game of the NLCS to be totally honest in 2015, but you know, City Field is a place that really gets loud when things are going well for the Mets. So I'm. I'm thinking City Field's going to be an awesome place to attend games over the next few years where the Mets are going to hopefully be perennial contenders going forward. But yeah, those are a couple that stand out to me. The game I that my mom made me leave, uh, the and then the couple walk-offs really recently. With uh, I think J.D. Davis actually had the walk-off. Frazier hit the homer to tie it. And then Conforto had the walk-off and then they ripped his shirt off. Those are Those are two recent ones for me. It is crazy how different it is when the I mean, because we had that lull for a very long time where the Mets were not only bad, but just uninteresting, right? Like when, you know, after 07, I want to say, or maybe after 08, and then obviously until they really got the full rebuild going, that was a long stretch of like, you know, you'd go to a game, but you'd go to a game to have a beer and a hot dog. Like my dad's firehouse always put together, um, you know, an event every year where we would all go to the game. And it was fun because you see everyone, you drink, you have a good time, but you almost didn't even care. And, and then I remember the first time I walked in, you know, I went to the game in 2015 when they'd gotten Cespedes and he hit his first home run for the Mets. I was at that game and I was like, okay, like there, there's a little bit of a feeling here. Wait, you know, the hype around Cespedes, he just hit his first home run. They won. They're playing well. And then when I went to the game um, in the NLDS, when Utley came back, I walked into City Field, into the Rotunda, and I was like, I have never experienced this for the Mets. This is like peak old-school Meadowlands when the Jets were good. That's how loud it was. That was the closest thing I could recall it to, you know, for an outdoor stadium where you walk. I'm like, this is a football crowd. It is loud. It is nasty. They are energetic. They are screaming. They are excited. Uh, it, it's just, it was two totally different worlds. I couldn't believe it was the same franchise. And something I'm particularly excited for is that I think Steve Cohen is doing his best to bring back that energy where the expectation is for the team to be good. There's a lot of money dumped into the front office, eventually the roster, but also the game experience. Like, that was one of the first things he came out and said on Twitter. Like, what food did you guys like? What does City Field need? What about? It'll be a better experience going to a Mets game. And I think when the team is good and the game experience is, is really good, you know, it, it makes such a tremendous difference. And I could speak to it now. Like, going to a Jets game at the new stadium, the team stinks, but the stadium is pathetic. Pathetic. And then I go to Rangers games at the Garden when the team is usually good and the Garden's electric. It's like you wouldn't even know these are both sports. So I'm thinking that an underlying factor in all of this is I really do think the City Field experience is going to be – I already thought it was good – but I think under Steve Cohen, it's going to be a top five ballpark experience in the major leagues. Absolutely. I think the experience is going to take a big step forward. And frankly, Mets fans are super passionate. You know, they're going to show up. They if, absolutely if are. The, if the Mets are playing well, they're going to be there. And they're going to be there loud and proud. There's no question about that. So 
you know, hopefully Steve Cohen builds up that roster and, you know, all these games that we saw where the crowd was absolutely bananas, you know, that we want that to be a more regular thing. City Field should be jamming every single night. And hopefully they get to the point where they could be there. And one thing that I'm looking forward to is, like, how are you going to react, like, the first game you get to go to after COVID? Like, there was no, I, we didn't go to baseball this year. How weird was that? Like, I don't go to a, a million games. I don't have season tickets or anything. I live in Connecticut. So, like, I hit a handful of games a year. But, like, I think the atmosphere is going to be electric once fans are able to actually get back in the building. They've been waiting for how long to do it, and the Mets are probably going to be a much better team. I have the expectation that they're going to be contending, maybe win World Series or not, who knows. But I think the Mets are going to be contending, and I think the Mets fans are going to show up loud and proud once City Field can have fans back. Absolutely. And that's something that's exciting. I mean, it really is. It's something that you could feel it. I, I was having this conversation with Joe a little bit after the holidays, um, you know, after Christmas, where I, I just sent him a, a graphic of our numbers and the downloads of the show. And I'm like, you know, it's crazy how since Steve Cohen bought the team, the interest in the Mets from a national standpoint, absolutely. I mean, if you turn on MLB Network, they constantly have Tacoma on. They constantly are talking about the Mets. All the insiders are talking about the Mets. But the fans who are already very passionate and were funny and engaged, even when the team was bad or mediocre, now it's it's a different kind of energy. So we're really excited. Uh, a really fun show today, even though there's not a ton of news around. We always find a way to – it's not filling an hour. I mean, an hour just flies by. So episode 22, Joe, closing thoughts for the week. Yeah, just like you said, uh, you sent me the numbers. Uh, I'm very excited with how we're doing. And, you know, not that numbers really – matter in the scheme of things but it's just exciting that everyone is taking to the podcast and taking to what we say and you know we get questions from you guys we get reviews from you guys and you know we're great i'm greatly appreciative i know connor is so you know just keep up with us and you know hopefully you know that's so mets has been a joke for a long time hopefully it's something you know as we're doing this podcast years from now and the mets have rallied off a world series or two that's so Mets. It'll be a funny podcast name because now we'll look back like, do you remember the days when the Mets were just a laughing stock and just dumb crap happened to them all the time and whatever could go wrong went wrong. Uh, so that that's really the whole thing is I hope that's so Mets ends up being a fond, a fond memory in a sense once once we get winning. But no, greatly appreciate the support. Hope everyone has a happy new year and you know we'll be back next week and you know maybe the Mets will have something new. And if something breaks, uh, as long as it's not when the ball's dropping, Connor and I will uh, <laughs> will get on and we'll, we'll talk about it. As long as we're awake and sober, we will have an emergency podcast for you, everyone. That's a wrap on episode 22. We'll catch you next week. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. 
Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.